0: Thanks for being with us on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have big events, right? We have big events in America like the Super Bowl. And this is actually kind of a big event. We're going to start the book of Romans. As I was looking back through our church history, we've never taught through the book of Romans before in all our 13 years. And I was like, why is that? Well, it's probably because just like Linda came up to Brad and I this morning and said, which one of you has to teach Romans 9? (laughs) I think there's some challenges here as we go through this, but we're really looking forward to tackling it together, right? Whenever we say to somebody, oh, yeah, we're going to teach Romans, they're like, whoa, Romans, or "Oh, you're crazy. Hey, I guess we're crazy. It's a long book, it's a challenging book, but it's a really important book. And it's part of scripture, and so today we're going to just talk about the first seven verses and some background, and sort of lay that, hopefully, lay a good foundation for understanding where we're going to go with this series, and it's probably going to go for a while. It's going to go through the year, we'll stop and start, we'll do probably something for Easter and other times throughout the year, and who knows how long it'll take, but we're going to get through it. And we're going to trust that God has something to teach us each week as we go through chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So, that being said, I'll go ahead and pray and then we'll sort of dive into the material this morning. Lord, we worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. We gather together as a church, as a congregation, Lord, of saints and potential saints, We trust that you have something to speak to each one of us, wherever we are at in our lives right this morning. Whatever our challenges are, long-term or short-term, whatever our joys are, long-term or short-term, we trust you are here to speak to us this morning. You've called each one of us here for a reason, Lord. And as we look at these uh, first seven verses of this book about the gospel... We ask that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so anytime we start something like this, you start a book, you start, I mean, new you go, well, what, let's get a little background. What's going on here? What's the deal? So we're going to go through a little bit of background on Romans. Is this, am I on? There we go. A little background on Romans, like it says there on the screen. All right, so the first thing is scholars will really date this. What happened? All right, I may just have to point at you. Yeah. Give me a little sticky fall Oh. Oh, no. Okay, well, I guess it's not that important. All right, <laughs> scholars date the book of Romans about the year 60 A.D. How do we know it's 60 A.D.? Well, there's sources elsewhere, but we also look within the New Testament and we see in Acts and 1 Corinthians, you kind of put everything together and you go, yeah, this is about 30 years after the death of Christ. Paul is putting this together together. And writing this letter. It's interesting to note there's a chronological order. I don't know how many of you uh, read the one year Bible and, or will read the chronological Bible, but if you look at, at the New Testament and you see the order, hopefully, the ball of death has disappeared on the screen. I don't know. Give me a minute. You can talk. Yeah. Ignore the screen, I guess. Yeah. So, we got an order. I'll just read it for you. Good thing I put it in my notes because I wouldn't memorize this. So, the order of the timeline of the New Testament. Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Then he wrote Galatians. Then he wrote the two letters to the Corinthians. And then he wrote Romans. So, it kind of falls about in the middle, but kind of towards the front end. And it's interesting because we're going to find that Romans theologically frames... Everything else we see in the New Testament. All of Paul's writings, in some ways, can kind of hang off of what he wrote in this letter to the Romans. And so the theme of Romans, which we see there on the screen, fortunately, is theology. The theology of the Christian faith. Theology, or you know, how we think about God, how we think about faith. What is theology? Well, we can sum it up in one word, and that one word is gospel. Gospel. You're going to hear us talk about this over and over. A great summary verse. Do we have it there? Maybe we don't. In Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, Paul says this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we'll get to that verse here, I believe, next week. The righteous shall live by faith. So we say, what is the gospel, the the theology? of the New Testament. The theology of the Christian faith, we can summarize it in the word, the gospel. What is the gospel? And again, we'll talk about it more and more as we go on this year, and we've been talking about it, we always will. And we'll even talk about it some more today. But the first thing about the gospel is this. The gospel is what makes Christianity not a religion. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is is gain so what do I mean Christianity is not a religion some of you might be sitting here and saying what you? of course it's a religion if I go and I ever fill out one of those forms you know, for paperwork or a survey and it says what's your religion I can check that box I go okay well that's true but Paul tells us in Romans that religion is what we as people do to get to God We recognize there's a separation between us and God and we have to get to Him. And so religion are the things and so all the religions of the world are the things that we are doing to try to get to God. The gospel is not that. The gospel is what God has done to bring us to Him. What God has done to bring us to Him. And now we'd say, well, why is Christianity a little box that we check on the form that says it's our religion? Well... Some have twisted Christianity into religion and they've taken the things that they say and that Paul has written and even things here in Romans and said these are the things you have to live by to get to God. But we're going to see that's not what Paul tells us. That is not the gospel. That is a twisting of the gospel into something that's religion. So the gospel is what makes Christianity not a religion. The second thing, I'm Shows The gospel shows how we are saved from the penalty for our sins. Romans 6.23, you see it on the screen, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Each one of us is due a death penalty. If we get really honest, we might say, Well, I think I'm a good person, or i got good things going on in my life, or whatever... But we recognize, nope, I'm actually a sinner. I've actually committed sins. I've wronged other people. I've wronged God. And this tells us that the wages due to us for that sin is death. It's due. We're going to collect that paycheck. And we're going to collect it not because God is mean, but because God is just. He's perfectly just. And He has to punish that unrighteousness. But this is the good news. How are we saved? We're saved from the penalty of sin because God sent Jesus Christ to earth to die in our place. His death pays that death penalty for our sins. And all we have to do, all we have to do is receive that free gift. That's how we're saved. You received the free gift of God. We receive it. The third thing about the gospel is it shows us the best way to live. The best way to live. It shows us that way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love this part. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. The good news is not just that we are saved from that death penalty as if that wasn't good enough news. The good news is also that we have a pattern and instructions on how we can live. We get freedom and power on how to live. Now, we look at this and we have to recognize that it doesn't mean, oh, I received that free gift and all of a sudden life is just peachy. That's not what it means. Observation tells us differently. And frankly, if that was true, Paul wouldn't have written this because it would be kind of redundant. It's not true. We have to be reminded we get to be in Christ. We receive that free gift and we get the opportunity to become a new creation. God gives us a path of faith to walk down. And in that path of faith, we get to grow. We get to learn. We get to change, and it's a process, and it's difficult, and it's hard. And some things happen quickly, and some things take years and years. But we've given a path, and we get to have the best way to live. And so this is one sort of simple summary of what the gospel is, and we're going to keep coming back to this in this series over and over and over again. And here's something cool to note, right? We talked about, oh, it's dated from about 60 AD. We need to recognize that most religions and philosophies develop over long periods of time. Hundreds of years, thousands of years, many will even just arise hundreds and thousands of years after the events even happened and myth and legend has worked its way in. And yet, here is Romans. 30 years after Christ dies in our place, here is Romans, a complete theological description of the good news. 30 years And what's even cooler than that is that here we are nearly 2,000 years after that. And it's the same thing. It hasn't changed. Myth and legend and changes have not come into it 2,000 years later. It's still unchanged and it is still relevant. And so wherever you're at this morning, you might be like, well, I haven't received that free gift. I'm just kind of checking this God thing out and that's great. And we're so glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us. I'd love to talk with you more. You can sit and listen or whatever you need to do. But man, wherever you're at, that fact alone that Romans has not changed, that this faith has not changed, that it was written down very clearly and concisely just a, a few decades after Christ died and rose again, makes it worth considering and figuring out, doesn't it? Because there's nothing like this in the world. There's nothing like this. So that's my encouragement to you is consider it. it's worthy of consideration. Some more background on Romans. What's the structure? The structure of Romans, it really walks us through the gospel. Right? So we have this introduction we're going to go through this week and next week. And then Paul talks about justification, which means how do I be saved? How do I receive that free gift? What does it mean? And then he goes into sanctification or how best to live. And then he connects that with, well, we're talking to a bunch of people who've grown up in this religious world and these religious connections, and let's talk about how the gospel connects with them, and then he gives us some specific applications and then closes the book. And so we're going to go through that again. It's going to take a while, but I'm really looking forward to it. So who was this letter written to? Well, it was written to the church in Rome. The Roman Church. What do we know about the Roman Church? Well, a few things about it. First, it had been around for several years. It wasn't like he just showed up and it was this brand new church plan. It was sort of established there. In chapter 15, Paul says, "...I've desired to visit you these many years." Well, for him to have desired to visit a church that existed for many years, it had to have been around for many years. So it had been there a while. Most scholars think it's probably a little more somewhere between 10 and 15 years in existence when he wrote this letter. We also see that the, the Church of Romans was stable enough to be a platform for missionary activities, for planting other churches, for sending people to other places to share the good news in other places. We also see from the letter of Romans that Paul doesn't address some major doctrinal error. Like when we read in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we go, wow, those churches were having some problems figuring this stuff out. We look at Romans and we go, there's no major doctrinal error. They're not struggling through doctrine. Paul also indicates that the church in Rome had a maturity. There was a maturity of their faith. There was a maturity in their faith, he says in 15, chapter 15, verse 14, he says, You are filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So they were mature believers who were part of this body. It also We also understand from Romans that the church in Rome had both Jewish converts, people who'd grown up and lived in Judaism for a long time and had come to see Christ as the Messiah and converted. And then there were all these Gentiles who didn't live in that world and lived in a pagan world, in a secular world, and they had converted and come and seen, wow, we accepted the good news. And so we see that the good news is good for everybody. And then there's a couple of views there of how the church was founded. Some hold that Peter himself showed up in Rome and founded the church. Others will say, well, Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit showed up and people spoke in tongues and people from Rome were there and they went back and started this church in Rome. Or there's another theory, which is that there's a bunch of believers who came from other places in the Roman Empire, other churches that Paul had established, and they all came to Rome and, and started this church. And so there's a little background on on the Roman church, but what I think is really neat when I look at this list is I go, wow, I think there's a real parallel to the firehouse church in all of these points. We've been in existence for 13 years, between 10 and 15 years, kind of like a church in Rome. We're, you know, by God's grace, a stable platform for missionary activities. Last week we had a couple missionaries on stage talking about the work they're doing in China couple weeks before that, we celebrated the fact that we planted a church in Parker in the past two years. We're a stable platform for missionary activities by God's grace. Now, are we without the presence of a major doctrinal error? I, I don't think we're struggling with that. I think we have a pretty good grasp on what's going on. Obviously, we have challenges and those kind of things, but I think we're, we're mature and I see a lot of people admonishing and encouraging and blessing one another in their faith. Now, Do we have a bunch of Jews here? I don't know. Maybe some people have some Jewish background. But when I look at that, I go, wow, that's really talking about people who are religious and grew up in religion or maybe grew up in a Christian church or grew up in places and they've come into this church. And then yet there's other people here who grew up in our society and grew up without God and grew up in other places. And we've come together in this church to worship God together. And then, of course, we we weren't founded by Peter or people from Pentecost directly, but at some point we are a group of believers who have come together and a lot of us say, well, I've come from other places and I've moved here to Denver either expressly or indirectly and to be part of this church. So I go, wow, I just think that's really neat. We look at this background on Romans and I say, wow, there is a parallel for the church in Rome to the Firehouse Church in Denver, Colorado. I just think that's cool. So we could say much more about background. I could go on and on and probably about much more, but let's just go ahead and jump right into the book here, these first seven verses, and we'll read it, and we'll see what it has to say for us. So, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, Jesus Christ, a little bit of a run on sentence there, I have the privilege of of, uh, teaching English grammar and writing to uh, fourth to sixth graders once a week during the school year. And I, this is never allowed when you write a paper, ever. This kind of sentence, right? I love it. You put it in, like I have it written up in my, my Microsoft Word document, and it just gets the blue squiggly line. It runs all the way through the whole thing, and I like want to change it. But I go, well, it's what Paul wrote, and I can't do anything about it, Right? And so when we encounter these kind of things, and they happen elsewhere in Scripture, right? We get these big run-on sentences. It's very easy to just go, ah, whatever, never mind. I'll just move on. Maybe the next thing will be maybe a little clearer, right? And that's because when we look at Scripture, it's it's so rich and has so much to offer for us that even the short verses that make a lot of sense and are grammatically sensible are really tough to get through and figure out. And so we get to something like this, and we go, ah, we want to throw up our hands and kind of... Move on to the next thing. But we're not going to do that today, so let's try to break it down into maybe some key components, and maybe we can get just even a little bit of understanding of what Paul is talking about here in these verses. So, we we'll just ask some questions of this passage. First, who's the main character? He gives us this run on sentence. Who is the main character of these first seven sentences? And the answer to that is clearly Jesus Christ term Jesus Christ appears four times in these seven verses, and at some point he gets equated to be called the Son of God, and Son appears two more times, so really six times in seven verses Jesus Christ is referred to. So he is the central figure of this introduction, and we can conclude, and we will see, he is the central figure of the entire book of Romans. And so Paul emphasizes two aspects of Jesus in this passage. He says, first, he was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, those Gentile pagan converts were probably like, well, that's nice. What's that mean to them? But to the Jews, they said, this is important because we always knew that Messiah, that person who was going to come and save the world would be descended from David. And so he points that out and he connects with that group of people. He says, look, that prophecy fulfiller, that Messiah you were looking for was going to be a a descendant of David, and that's Jesus Christ. And then he says his resurrection from the dead. It's the second aspect of Jesus that Paul emphasizes here. And we go, wow, his resurrection from the dead. And we understand as we look at the other Gospels, we say, wow, Jesus performed a ton of miracles. But one stands alone as the most important one, and that is his resurrection from the dead. And we know that's important because in order to defeat the penalty of sin, he had to defeat death. This is the most important fact about Jesus Christ, and this fact would resonate with both Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church. So we have Jesus. What else do we know about Jesus? He he mentions him several times, but we have to look at his history and his background. And I thought, well, how could I summarize the life of Jesus and his characteristics. I remember this passage, this thing, I'll put it up here on the screen, and we see it a lot of times at Christmas. So you you may have seen it before, but I'll just read it because I think it gives a very good summary of who Jesus was. It's called One Solitary Life. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, he never held an office, he never owned a home, he never had a family, he never went to college, he never put his foot inside a big city, he never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born, he never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with this world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life." Jesus Christ is the central figure of history and he's the central figure of the book of Romans. And so I'd ask you today, have you ever considered who he is and what he's done? Have you ever considered who he is and what he's done? And if you're here today and you're saying, what is this church about? That is what our church is about, considering who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And so if you have considered it... Will you continue to ponder upon who Christ is and what he has done? Will you reinstall him as central in your life? That's who the book of Romans is about. Now, what is is it about? What is the intro about? We know it's about Jesus, but specifically what about Jesus? And the answer to that, again, is the gospel. And A little review from a few minutes ago. The gospel is what makes Christianity not a religion. It shows how we're saved from the penalty of sin. It shows us the best way to live. Now, in our culture, right? You hear people use this term gospel all the time, right? They say, well, that's the gospel truth about something. And they're trying to say, oh, it's really, really true. That's not what gospel means. Gospel doesn't mean really, really true. It comes from a Greek word... I'm not sure you can even pronounce it, euagulia, euagulia, I didn't take Greek, so I don't know. But the meaning of the Greek word is good news. Good news. The term gospel appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. And actually, in the Roman culture, it was often used to describe the installment of a new leader into a culture. And so this central message of the gospel, again, is that Christ offers you a free gift. And the salvation that he offers you is that he paid the penalty for the sins that are due to you, that death penalty that is due. And you can be reconciled to God for eternity by receiving that free gift. And so in the midst of that, in the midst of all this, it's very, very important for us as believers to continue coming back to the gospel. We need to keep coming back to the gospel. Sometimes I get afraid, and I know maybe Brad does too, that I feel like I keep repeating it. I feel like every week and week after week and year after year, I keep talking about the gospel. I go, is everybody, is everybody sick of the gospel yet? I go, well, I don't know, maybe you're sick of it. But this is the message that we have to keep talking about because we have to keep preaching it. Because if we don't keep preaching it to ourselves, what happens? We twist Christianity into that religion. And we don't want to do that. We also think it's important to keep being repetitive because one of our goals is that every single person who sits here, every single one of you would be able to clearly articulate the gospel to somebody else. Our flesh and the world and the devil are going to want to drag us away from the good news. And repetition of it is going to help us come back. So Romans is about the gospel. And that's what we're going to follow here as we go along. So, what else about Romans? Who's the author? Who's the author and why is he important? Well, he says the first word is Paul. Paul. Okay, well, Paul is the, is the author. What do we know about Paul? What do we know about him? Well, we know he was one of those Jewish religious people. He was a leader in that church. He'd grown up in it. He'd been trained in it. He had all his education in it. He was going along and he was a top guy in this religion. And then what happened? He was converted. He heard the good news through, in his his case, an encounter with Jesus. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to kill them and throw them in jail, and he had this encounter with Jesus Christ and his life turned around 180 degrees. He went on and he was discipled primarily through other believers, and then he ultimately used all of these gifts and this education and this training and his background and his knowledge To spread the gospel. And so then Paul tells us three things about himself here in this introduction. The first thing is he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? And why does he say that? See, here's Paul, and he has all this knowledge, and he's a teacher, and he's a leader, and he's important, and he could really set himself up that way. But he doesn't. He says... I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, I am first and foremost one who serves Jesus. is that a great model? It's a great model for us. Here's somebody who is actually could be really important. And he says, the first and most important thing about me is that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us, wherever we're at, can also be servants of Jesus Christ. Paul also says, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. What is an apostle? Well, the definition of apostle is one who is sent out. Now, clearly, Paul was sent out. Clearly, he was an apostle. Sent out for what? Well, Paul tells us, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ among all the nations. And Now, on one hand, we could look at this and say, all right, we understand that apostle is kind of a special office, sort of a special role that those first kind of 11 disciples and Paul really had. But that's not what he's talking about here. We see later in Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament that everyone who is a believer is, in fact, sent out. And if the definition of apostle is one who is sent out, then in that sense, every single one of us has an apostolic calling. So Paul says, I am a servant of Christ, just like you. I am one who's sent out, just like you. And then he says, I am set apart for the gospel of God. Well, what does that mean? I think what he's saying is that more and more and more my life is devoted To the gospel. My life is devoted to God. My life is devoted to Jesus Christ. And that's not just sharing that good news, which is a part of it, but it also means that sanctification, that process of walking down that best path that God lays out for us. And again, everyone is called to that. And so we look at this every single one of us can do what Paul did. Paul is important because he's just like us. He's not some special leader, although he was a special and a leader. What he says is, I'm writing to you, brother to brother, brother to sister. And that's important, and we should listen. And so now for the last thing about this passage, we can ask this. Who is the recipient? Who is this sent to? Well, we said that already. It was written to the church in Rome. But I would contend that it's actually us. This book is written to us. Now, the first thing he says is to those in Rome, go, okay, so those in Rome, well, I don't live in Rome, right? Rome is like way over there, and the Roman Empire is long gone, so how can we even really say that this is to me? Well, we have to recognize that Paul's letters, although he did send them specifically to, to churches or to individuals. The idea was that they would be circulated to a wider audience of people not in those places. So we can't say, well, it's only for the people in Rome. And then we also recognize the content. There's all this theology. This is the theology of faith. This applies to all of us. It applies to all of us. So in that sense, we're all Romans. Paul also says it's to those who are loved by God. So ask that question, who does God love? Hmm does God love? Well, I asked myself that question, and I did a little digging, and you can go down a very deep rabbit hole trying to figure out, well, what exactly do you mean by that, and who who does he love, and who does he not? And I thought, well, let's just make it really simple. What does John 3.16 say? God so loved The the world. God so loved the world, and what did he do? He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. So God clearly has a love for you and me. And so, in this sense, we're all loved by God. We're all loved by God in that sense. The third thing Paul says about the recipients is they're called to be saints. Well, what is a saint? I know, depending on whatever your, your background is, you might think, oh, well, saint is a really special person who's done some really neat stuff, and a bunch of people eventually kind of voted on this person and elected them to this office of being a saint. Well... Clearly that hadn't happened just a mere 30 years after the death of Christ. And so what does he mean? There's a Greek word, "hagios," translates the saint. And it means most holy thing. Most holy thing. And we should understand saint to mean who's the holy ones? Those who are saved and set apart. Those who are saved and set apart. And so do you see that connection back to Paul? Paul says, I was saved, I was set apart, I was sent out. So if you've received the free gift of salvation, if you've received the good news, then you are a saint. You are saved and set apart. I'm saved and set apart, praise be to God. And that means I and you, we're like Paul. We're called by God to be set apart for him, just like Paul. Now, some of you maybe have not received that free gift. And so in that sense, you're like, well, I'm not saved and I'm not set apart. And that's fine. But you could be. So in that sense, you're a potential saint. And so this letter is, hey, you might be called to be a saint. Those of us who have received it, well, we're definitely called to be saints. You might be. And so in that sense, the letter of Romans is to all of us we can conclude that Paul is writing this letter to you and me and all believers. And in fact, I would say all non-believers. And so from this, we need to conclude, we better pay attention to what Romans says. Amen? Amen? So now we know what to expect from Romans. And here's just a summary of what we're going to expect from Romans. First, it's all about Jesus Christ. We get to Romans 9 or some of those challenging passages. We're going to remember it's all about Jesus Christ. We're always going to go back to Jesus Christ and that's going to guide us. We also know the message is the good news. The good news. The gospel. That's the message. We're saved by grace and it's a free gift. We're given freedom and direction for how to live in the best way. And we're also going to recognize this letter is not from somebody high and mighty to somebody lowly. It's from one believer to other believers. Regardless of our gifting, our position, regardless of our background, regardless of the era or the geography or any other thing we could try to think of that might separate us from what Paul has written, it's letters for us. So we're going to listen to it. And so that's the introduction to Romans. So I don't know about you, I'm excited to tackle this book and I hope that we do this together and we all grow deeper in our faith as we examine the theological framework God has given us. I just think it's going to be a great and awesome experience for us together. And so that being said, I'll go ahead and pray and close our time. Lord, I'm thankful that you've written this book through Paul. You inspired Paul to write this letter from one believer to others. God, I think about that message, the good news, and I go, wow, Lord, you've changed my life. You've changed my life because of that good news. And I know there's so many of us here in this room who could say, my life has been changed by this good news, Lord, and it's my prayer that if there are others who are here who are listening whose lives have not been changed by the good news, that they would be open to hearing the good news and having their lives changed by it. God, I thank you for recording it and passing it down to us and not changing it. And God, I thank you above all that this is not a religion. or this is good news. This is good news. Because God, I recognize in my life, I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. And the justice due for me and my sin is death. Eternal separation from you and yet... God, by your grace, and we worship you for this. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and offer us that free gift of salvation. And all we have to do is invite you and say, Lord, receive that free gift of salvation, and I, I want to follow after you. Lord, help us in that. How does the church, help us as we go forward into this year. As we walk down this Romans road together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.